What's a city boy do from California? When tasked with preaching a sermon about farming. And he had never been to a farm before prior to coming to Missouri. In December of 2019, just prior to us moving from Southern California to Missouri, the church I was pastoring, Marietta Valley Church, and the pastors there presented me with a few parting gifts prior to embarking the long road trip from a large city in California and that city setting all the way to a small town farming community here in Gallatin, Missouri. What did they give me? You see it right here. These overalls, and they also gave me an international harvester's hat, which I left in my office as I was rushing to change out of my suit. Um, they gave this to me, and I've never worn this before in my life until this time here in the pulpit. The Lord knew when it might be useful for us, and Pastor Wood, for instance, has been trying to get me to preach in, in, in overalls since the time, really, I've gotten here. So, And Pastor Wood's laughing and surprised. He didn't know I was going to do this. And when my kids found out yesterday, I kind of, when I had the idea as I'm pulling things together for the sermon, I put it on and walked upstairs when the kids saw me and heard that I was going to preach in overalls of all things. <laughs> they are excited. My oldest son, Jeremiah, quickly exclaimed, look, it's, it's Digger Dan from, from um, VBS, right? Remember we had the VBS theme and my nickname was Digger Dan and then my other son, Micah, said, that's cool, is what he said. My daughters, on the other hand, <laughs> are you really going to preach in that, they said? All three of them just looking at me. I'm not even going to tell you what my wife said. You can ask her afterwards. But as you can see, she at least dressed up our youngest, Noah. He lift, lift him up in, in overalls to match his dad. And notice here the collar. Okay, so for anyone concerned about formality and Sunday morning worship and preaching, I at least got the collar. Uh, but I'll tell you, I've never preached in overalls. never really wore overalls and certainly never preached in dirty boots with steel toe. They make me a little taller. It's kind of nice. Don't get near me after the service in case I accidentally step on your toes because these things are weapons on my feet. But you see some overalls here and a hat. Wasn't going to do the full trick, was it? I needed more than that, didn't I? So actually riding along in combines and learning things, which some of our members have done, helped kind of give me a better idea about farming realities, which is so, so nice, them letting me tag along. But I still had so many questions, and Pastor Wood could attest to this, uh, that he had to correct my terminology and spend time really breaking down farming lingo uh, from the yield to seed time and harvest and everything in between and all around. He's helped me out a lot. And just this past week, I spent the morning with Nathan Woodward as he showed me this city boy of all people around his farms. And he was so gracious answering all 
of my questions, and they say that there isn't such thing as a stupid question, wrong in my case here. Because if you were a fly on the wall in any of those conversations and you know anything about farming, you would have heard your pastor ask many of those types of questions. But hopefully all my learning might pay off in sermons the next few weeks directly related to farming. Starting today in a sermon titled Gospel Farmers Sowing, which is of course about the parable of the sower that we all know or most of us would know which could even more appropriately be titled The Parable of the Soil because the main emphasis this morning in this passage is the different kinds of soil. And just so that we might glean some important truths here today that will just really pay off as we look at parables, we're going to start with a quick discussion of parables to begin with by way of introduction And I want us to notice, before we read the parable itself, I want you to notice here in this introduction, the underlying kind of, if you didn't know the underlying hidden or spiritual meaning here, which I know a lot of you would, what would it come off to you as? How would you receive the parable just by itself without explanation? I want you to think about that before we read it. And I want to pray before we read it as well for God's help. Pray with me, church. Father, We are so thankful, Lord, that you reveal to us your word in powerful ways. And that your word, it just doesn't just hit us and do nothing. It's always doing something. In one way or another, it's doing something. Would you work today and all the hearers to be able to lean in and to hear the truths of your word? Help us to see it. Help me to preach it. Help it to profit us greatly. So let's begin here. Father, as we go, help us here. We say this in Christ's name, amen. Well, here in this intro of the hidden parables, we're gonna see first, right off the bat, we're gonna see here um, the beginning of our time, starting with the purpose of parables, and then um, up front here, before we get to the gleaning of the parables. Look with me at Chapter 13 of Matthew in verse 1. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. Notice here that Jesus took a similar posture that he did just like rabbis at the time would do, sitting down. But also notice here that in this sermon, he is not on the mount as we've seen before in Matthew in chapters 5 to 7, or amongst the disciples preaching about persecution that was going to come to them like we saw in chapter 10, but he's now seated in a boat in a kind of amphitheater, cove-like area because there were so many people coming to hear Jesus, and instead of him standing and them sitting, he was sitting and the crowds were standing probably because so many eager listeners were coming to hear him and they wouldn't be able to see him if they sat down. It reminds me of the wonderful but kind of exhausting show at Disney's California Adventure called Worlds of Color, and 
in that show, you have to stand for almost 30 minutes the whole time to watch it because everybody's standing. If you sat, you wouldn't be able to see it. I mean, everything's way up in the air. I don't know why they couldn't have people sit, but we all are standing. And then not to mention the kids because there's different heights. And of course, I'm not super tall. I've had the kids on my shoulders for almost 30 minutes, and it was exhausting trying to see that. I remember it vividly. It felt like over an hour. So be thankful that you're seated right now as you're hearing uh, the preaching. But let's hear how the parable itself, with no explanation to start, we're going to see it with no explanation how it would have hit you, hit us, hit the listeners, just the bare parable itself. Look with me now at verses 3 through 9 for this. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. If you did not know the underlying spiritual meaning, I think all of us would simply say about this, and I don't even know a lot about farming, but what I learned from Nathan and confirmed, that this parable by itself simply just states the obvious of farming realities, right? The crowd would be like, okay, Jesus, so what's the point? You're on a boat pulpit preaching, and you tell us literally things that we already know about farming. Where's the punchline? I came all the way here and stood in this crowd, and that's all you gave me? It would be like me standing up today to preach and giving an illustration or example or a parable like this. A man went online to register for Netflix. He entered his credit card information and began browsing different streaming options. Some shows and movies were comedies. Others were action-packed. And yet others were dramas. You're like, okay. So what's your point, preacher? That's how the crowds would have received that teaching that day. But why did Jesus teach in such a veiled way? Was he wanting to create some kind of an escape room scenario to puzzle people? Or give a riddle to just confuse everybody? Yes. Yes, actually, I could see some of you are a little surprised by that. That's exactly what he was doing. You're like, what? What? I wasn't expecting that kind of thing. Why would Jesus want to confuse the crowd that day? Why? Let's see the reason in the next portions of the passage in verses 10 through 17. Hear the word of God. Then the disciples came and said to him, just like what we're asking here, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given 
to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For the one who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes. And hear with their ears. And understand with their heart. And turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see. And your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you. Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see. And did not see it. And to hear what you hear. And did not hear it. You see here, parables were all about concealing truth or hiding it for some while revealing it to others. Now up to this point, everyone is confused, including the Pharisees and even Jesus' disciples because a parable without explanation is just a riddle that everyone is left to guess at. Or like I said, an escape room, which my whole family, all eight of us had an experience to, to do a kids-friendly escape room in Kansas City. And the whole thing is this big, confusing riddle, and you're just going from one thing and chaos. Could you just imagine my family running around? What? Where do we go? What's the next clue? What's the next clue? Oh, my goodness. We, we thought we were far, but at the end we realized we barely scratched the surface. Uh, a parable like this without explanation is just like that. It's just a riddle. You don't know it. You, you don't have the answers. But we see here, clearly, Jesus' hiding purpose in his teaching in parables. This is the first time that Jesus preached in parables, and this entire chapter is a chapter of parables. And I don't think it's a coincidence that right after Jesus' showdown with the Pharisees we saw last week, and have been seeing all along in this series over and over again, religious leaders opposing Jesus... At every turn, everything he did. And even in light of his compassionate miracles and delivering people from demons, they simply explained it all away as an act of demons. It must have been a demon in Jesus, they said. It's no accident here that Jesus is hiding his teaching from them now. You see that turn? The other sermons were different. His other teaching was different. There's something unique, and there's a transition here in his ministry. Their blasphemy and hard hearts and blind eyes is now met with Jesus changing his strategy. And in his veiled teaching, keeping truth from their hearts through parables of all things. But that's not what you thought parables were before. Most of us don't catch that meaning because it seems kind of unfair or off or weird, but it, it can't be clearer here that this is what Jesus is doing. And here we have a parable that is revealing Jesus' hidden teaching 
And it's actually a fulfillment of Old Testament expectations in Psalm 78 and even Old Testament things going on with Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 where the prophet was met with unbelief instead of belief. He says, he, he says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You know, man of unclean lips, who will, you, who will go? Who will be sent? Who will preach? Isaiah said, send me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Send me. Holy are you. What was the message that God gave Isaiah there in Isaiah 6? It was a message here that there would be Giving of truth met with hard hearts if you look at the context. And Jesus, just like that context, was met, as we've been seeing, by and large, with a lot of unbelief rather than belief, right? And we, here we have in this parable not only an explanation of the hiding nature of parables, but also an opening parable about the sower, that's where we're at. The gospel farmer, a farmer who sows, sowing seed and answering this really puzzling question on everybody's mind. Why in the world are so many people seeming to reject Jesus and his word and, or to kind of hear it a little bit and then just fall away from it when the going gets tough? Why? Have you ever known people who were so hard-hearted that they simply dismissed you and your Christian message right offhand, right off the bat? without even really hearing you. Or have you had someone seem to initially get it, but then shortly after, fall away? Kind of reverse course. Or even others profess faith for a long time, but then completely just fall away from it later. Have you, have you ever experienced that kind of thing? Well, if you have experienced that, and I know that you have, so has Jesus and his disciples. And now, Jesus was going to explain exactly why this was the case in this parable. A parable that was veiled and hidden prior to further explanation and review, which is what we're now going to turn to, the explanation of gospel farmers sowing or preaching and teaching and the different responses of that sowing. And let's see it in soil number one, the hard path. Looking first at Matthew 13, 3 through 4 for the initial parable and then the explanation in verses 18 through 19. Matthew 3 and verse 13, or verse 3 says, And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and he sowed, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Here's the explanation in verse 18 and 19. Here then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Soil number one, this hard path. This is the first of four sower or soils that we're gonna see. And the sower, of course, is what? the preacher or the teacher or the evangelist or Jesus himself, the disciples or you as a Christian sharing the word. And the seed is the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of Christ. And certainly, as we see here, this is just a picture even of Jesus' ministry and his disciples and also other people who evangelize with the word of God. Gospel farmers today, it, it kind of relates to all of us, doesn't it? 
But it also relates directly to us, directly to you and me, not just in our sharing of the gospel seed in that way, not just in sharing it, or even in my preaching of the gospel, but also in our hearing of the word of God and the gospel as well. Even more so, it's about our hearing. How do you hear the word? How do I hear the word? He who has ears, let him hear. It's not just simply, do you have physical ears on your head, as Alistair Begg comically mentioned. It's not just physical ears, but we're talking about actually taking it to heart, actually hearing the truth and and understanding it, grasping it. And this whole parable is all about revealing different hearts and what hearts are all around us and what hearts we have. What kind of inner man or woman we are. How do we not only speak, as we saw last week, because our words certainly, what, reveal our hearts, but how do we hear the word of God also? That reveals our hearts as well. That reveals what kind of soil we are, what kind of heart we have. What kind of soil are you? It's the question of this parable. The sermon, I want you to think and answer it as we go. And your answer bears eternal weight as to whether or not you're on your way to heaven or hell. These are big things. And the first three soils, including this one we just read about, which is not even a soil because it's really just a hard path, right? It's just hard, hard path like this pulpit. It's just hard and a hard heart, which is most directly connecting with these pharisaical religious people who simply rejected Christ without even giving him a true hearing, they were against him from the beginning. Remember, nothing that Jesus or John the Baptist could do, even though they were opposite, couldn't please any of them. And they were against the godly ministry of the word because they would not repent. In fact, some of them were so bad off and so hardened of heart and down the path of unbelief committing the unpardonable sin or the unforgivable sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit as we saw last week. That is a really hard heart. And though the Pharisees who had reached this point of hardening blamed themselves the demonic for Jesus' miracles, they were in fact influenced by the evil one or devil himself as we see In this parable, as the devil metaphorically swooped down like a bird to snatch up the seed and prevent it from making an impact on their hard hearts. The snatching up is not metaphorical. Obviously, he didn't come down as a bird, you know. You don't look around and share the gospel with someone and the bird, invisible bird comes down. No, metaphorical bird comes out. The devil snatched up, doesn't doesn't even hit him, doesn't even sink in. What kind of soil are you? Does this describe your heart? Is it so hard that when you come to church and hear preaching, it literally goes in one ear and out the other? Or it lands into your heart and Satan himself or the demons come swooping in and snatching it away? One evidence for this would be if you simply reject and hate the preaching of the word so much that you forget it 
even as it's being preached, just glazed over, because you just really don't care. I hope that doesn't describe you. I, I hope it doesn't, but you know who you are if this is you. And this leads us to our second soil, and soil number two, rocky ground. Let's see it in verses five and six. And then also explained in verse 20, verse five, other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Here's the explanation in verse 20 and 21. And for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when the tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. If you're not the hard-hearted path, then are you this less hard, rocky soil or rocky ground? I learned this past week from Nathan that you wouldn't even want to try to farm ground like this, or else you'd, you'd just be a fool. He didn't use that language. I'm adding that language of being a fool because you know exactly what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen in that situation. What is it? Not much. Not much at all. Without the appropriate depth of soil, there may be initial signs of growth, but it will quickly fail and die, and the seed will have been wasted in that sense. Now, to be clear, the seed is not the problem. The bad soil or the ground is the problem. Did you see that? Now, I heard a story this past week of defunct bad seed also causing issues, of course, and that would happen, and that wouldn't go over well if you have bad seed. But here in this passage, the seed of the word of God is the word of God, and we know that the seed of God's word goes out and it's not the seed that's the problem, is it? But the soil. Our hearts that reject it is the problem. Now, there are preachers and professing Christians who don't know the word of God and don't know and present the gospel, even though they say they do. And when they preach it, it will not produce anything of value because only the seed of the true word of God can bring growth, okay? But notice here that even the unadulterated word of God rightly preached, even if it's preached by Jesus himself, which is perfect preaching, if met with bad soil or bad hearts, that it will fail and not produce anything lasting, will it? So when you or your friends or your family fail to truly hear and respond to the word in a lasting way, who is to blame? Is it the word of God? No. Of course it's not. Is it the preacher or evangelist or believing friend who tries to share it with them if they're sharing it faithfully and true? No. Who's to blame? It's the unbelieving soil of the unbelieving hearts who are the issue here. The hearers 
and rejecters are to be seen for what they are. Soil that is not ready for the word, not capable to receive it. Hearts that are set against the truth of God's word and the messengers who bring it. Do you see that here? Clear implication. This is really practical. You see that when everyone sees the terrible responses of Jesus' preaching and the disciples' preaching, it could be tempting then and even now to think that there is something wrong with them, with Jesus and the disciples. They must be doing it wrong. They must need to change their ministry approach. They must kind of chill out Jesus with that exclusivity thing and I'm the only way thing. No, no, no. Jesus, there's another way that it would be more palatable to the masses. You could be tempted to think that they did something wrong with their ministry, but there's nothing wrong with Jesus and his disciples' ministry. The bad soil of the bad hearts are the problem. You are described here in this rocky ground if you have made a joyful profession of faith in the past but are right now showing zero signs of loving God and his word and growing as a Christian today. This describes you. If you walked an aisle in the past, but then when life got hard or others came against you, persecuted you for your newfound profession of faith, and you just folded and fell away, it just reveals not that the seed of the word and the gospel was fake or broken, but that the soil of your heart was not genuine. Because if it was, you would not have fallen away like that. Now, to be clear, I believe in the perseverance of the saints or the preservation of God in keeping his saints in the faith from the moment they are converted and to the day that they die, they're safe in the Savior's arms. Once a person is truly saved, they will never lose their salvation, but what we've been seeing here and other places in Scripture, that there's a category of professing believers alone, saying that they believe, but if they just quickly fall away, then the answer is not that they lost their salvation, but that they never had it to begin with because they were bad soil, rocky soil, with unprepared, unbelieving hearts. You see that? It's right here. Believe it. Examine your hearts and selves if that's you. But what about those who last a little bit longer and have been around for what seems like forever? And you've seen evidence more than just a short time, and then they just peace out. They're gone. What about them? This leads us to soil number three and sharp thorns in verse 7 and verse 22, starting with verse 7. It says this, other seed fell among thorns and thorns grew up and choked them. In verse 22, for explanation, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Now to be clear here up front, Everyone will experience persecution like we saw in our last point. But some who quickly fall away reveal rocky, unbelieving soil. And everyone will experience anxious cares of the world and even the deceitful pull 
towards worldly riches and towards the alluring worldliness that we see in this point here. Everyone will. The fact that these things come to all of us does not mean that you're not genuine. Don't think, oh, I have been anxious or I have been tempted with the world. Maybe I'm not saved. John tells us in 1 John, as we saw, that that, that we need to turn away from worldly temptations. Why? Because Christians could be tempted by worldly things or else he would have never written it. Make sense? That's not how it is. No, no, not at all. That's, that's not the issue. The issue is being so drawn away because of these worldly cares and riches and temptations that you simply leave the faith all together. Do you, do you see that? There's a huge difference, huge difference between a Christian suffering through trials and persecution and anxiety and depression and worldly temptations galore. Christians will be faced with all that in a fallen world with the remaining realities of the flesh within, they'll be faced with those things. There's a difference between that and a professing Christian who simply turns and follows those things headlong and unrepentantly goes the way of the world. Do you see those distinctions there? We, we need to, to, to recognize that that. There are these distinctions because some professing Christians, even if they last longer than the quick professing hard soil hearts, at some point, though they were once amongst us and seemed a whole lot like Christians, if they have fully fallen away and apostatized, which means they have left the faith, left the church, went in a new direction, no longer professed Christ and care about his word, if they've, if they've abandoned ship in that way, then it means that they too, though once they seemed like they were among us, even for a long time, maybe even church members at our church, First Baptist Church, they are like what John told us about in our First John series in First John 2 and verse 19. See it for yourself. They went Out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. You see that? People with bad hearts and unbelieving soil are to be seen as never saved to begin with, whether it's right off the bat or later. And not everyone who makes a profession of faith is a genuine believer. This is a truth revealed all over Scripture. Jesus even mentioned it in the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember, in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see it right clearly. These last two soils are about people calling Jesus Lord saying they believe, but then yet falling away after that, showing that they're not on the way to heaven, but that they need to be evangelized all over again because they're really unbelievers with a former profession of faith that is gone now, meaning it was never there to to begin with. The profession was there, but the life was not. 
There was no spiritual transformation. So that's why it's so dangerous to give assurance of faith to somebody who's not really showing any, any evidence because they could be like, well, I've done that Christian thing. I tried that, and it didn't work at all. The reason it didn't work at all is because you were never born again. You were never regenerate. You were never converted to begin with. We need to be careful about this kind of thing. Lives are at stake. And to be clear, this does not mean that simply anyone who leaves our church, who leaves First Baptist Church of Gallatin and goes to another Protestant Bible-believing church, doesn't mean that they're lost, not at all. Our church covenant encourages us to go to other like-minded churches if we should ever leave this church. And I know there are dear brothers and sisters of Christ who we all know who have left one church to go to another, and that's okay, that's, that's good, that's not the problem. But people who once made a profession of faith, who have just fallen fully away from the faith that they once professed together with us, not going to any other faithful church, not acting like Christians at all, are now the mission field even if they were once members of our church. Does that make sense? And does this thorny, weed-infested soil describe your heart? Does it? You might be like, I'm here, ain't I, Daniel? I'm here, I'm sitting in the seats. Well, it's good that you're still here among us. But if you're here, how do you receive the word if you're here? Because there are other people sitting in these seats that were here, but they're no longer here. They certainly weren't receiving the word. Are you receiving the word? This is serious stuff. Do you receive it? Or do you feel the thorns creeping up to suffocate it away like an anaconda or python snake draining the fake spiritual life out of you? Where are you at? I just heard this past week and read an article of a tragic story of a missing woman being found inside the stomach of an enormous python. This happened in 2018. I'm, I'm not lying about that. I'm not just making it up. You can look it up later. Don't do it now. You're all distracted now. Don't look it up now. Listen to the rest of the sermon here. And ask yourself, are you truly hearing the word? Or has the word been choked out of you because of your worldly concerns? If so, then you're just represented in this third soil. I hope you just see it. And be warned, as David Platt helpfully brings out in his Christ-centered exposition commentary, he says, there's a subtle danger in the imagery here. A thorn does not choke suddenly, but gradually, almost unknowingly. The desire for and consumption of money and the things divides and eventually destroys the heart. And Platt's right about that, isn't he? So whether slowly choked out or violently, like the snake, either way, we have to be warned and also recognized whether the word is sticking in our hearts when we hear it. And if it's making a difference or if it's being eradicated by bad soil, causing us to be double-minded men and women, Divided between a little church and a little world. Examine yourself today, church. The stakes are high. And this leads us 
now that we've all been shook up by this snake story and distracted, (laughs) but also hopefully examining our hearts to find out if we fall into these first three soils that reveal to us that we're fakes or that we possess unbelieving hearts based on how we are responding to the word or not responding to it, either by just not responding to it at all or just kind of temporarily. This leads us now to the fourth and final soil, the sea soil number four, the good soil. Look with me at Matthew 13 and verses eight and nine, and then also verse 23. Matthew 13, verse eight says, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. The explanation, verse 23 As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. Now, after seeing all those other soils, this is certainly the only soil that we want to be associated with as professing Christians, right? Because this is the only genuine soil out of all four described by Jesus. I hope we are all this soil. I hope everyone here is this soil. But if we're not, or if our loved ones are not, don't be discouraged, church, and pray that we or they might become this soil one day. And don't give up giving and hearing the seed of the word Because people can be all of the three bad soils at one time or point in their life. How do I know that? Because I was someone who was all of those bad soils at times in my life, a profession of faith, grown up in church, said that I believed, even got baptized falsely at 10 because I didn't believe, I didn't have a new heart. Even was baptized in the church, said all the right things, but didn't have any real life change, any real heart transformation. I wasn't true soil. So don't give up when you preach and teach and share with hard hearts. They may not always be that way. And please... Notice, despite the way you might have heard this parable preached in the past, the soil examination and heart examination is for us to examine not only our own hearts, but the hearts and professions of faith of others. Because as the purpose of parables, either being revealing or concealing, as one preacher put it, you see that? So please don't miss that the hearts that are coming to Jesus are the disciples or believers who he has revealed himself to, and the hard hearts who are rejecting it are those ones who are not genuine, who are fakes, who are kind of concealed to the things of God. You see that? So it's not like you can muster up in your own good works and ability your own soil all by yourself. Like, okay, Daniel, after the sermon, I'm going to make myself really good soil as if I can do that. As Platt also helpfully asked, he asked this, have you ever wondered why you as a follower of Christ see forgiveness in the cross when so many other people in the world see foolishness like we see in 1 Corinthians 1.18? Have you ever wondered that? 
Is it because you are better, smarter, more humble, or more religious than others? No. It's only because God is merciful to you. He has opened your eyes to see and your ears to hear. So the good soil is not about you priming your own heart to be the perfect condition to hear the word yourself. Not at all. Don't get me wrong. It requires a sovereign work of God giving you a new heart so that you can see and believe and hear. You must be born again or else you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Our testimonies should not be about me, me, me. Or I did this. I did that. I was great. I was smart. I was better. I understood. Yes, you understood. Praise God for that. Yeah, yes, you believed. Praise God for that. But you're not to point to me, 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 or I, 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 but to God, 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 because God gets the glory for your conversion and your good soil because without his work, you would have never believed. Dear Christian, your good heart, if you have it, if you're a Christian, you have it, is not the product of your goodness, as Sproul said. It's not because you're good. We're not good. We're bad. He sent his son into the world for bad people. Not good people. Not when we got our act together, but when we were bad. Jesus says, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids. How much more the, this is loose, Father in heaven, give good gifts to you. He knows who we are. He knows our hearts. He knows we're not perfect. He knows we're not Jesus. Our good hearts is a product of a good God working great things and undeserving. People don't get it wrong. Don't get it wrong. It's so easy to get it wrong. So easy to be tempted to pride, self-righteousness, and to focus all on, on, on how great we are. No, it's how great thou art. Could you imagine if the song was the other way? But sometimes Christians kind of act like it's the song the other way. Oh, how great I am. May it never be for you and me here. May it never be. But the parable also clearly shows here that if you're a believer, we will all know it because there'll be evidence of it. And it's not gonna be your worldliness and your selfishness and your gossip and your slander and your backbiting that will prove it. That's the opposite fruit. And you may struggle, to be clear. Rather, you will struggle with temptations but if you're a Christian, you're going to be repenting of those things, not just diving in to the deep end, just this is what I'm going to do kind of thing. But, but if you're characterized by worldliness, then as we saw in Galatians, that's the kind of fleshly fruit, bad fruit, that's describing your heart. And that is who you are to the core. And it reveals that you're an unbeliever. It reveals you're one of these bad soils, Okay. And your wicked words reveal, as we saw last week, your life and actions also reveal, as we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount and in 1 John, or your godless, heretical beliefs reveal, as we saw in Galatians. Make no mistake about it. If you are against the word in life or doctrine, then you are part of the first three soils, unbelieving soils. On the other hand, if you're receiving the word, repenting of sin, loving your God, bearing good fruit, even if not perfect, because it won't be, saying good words, doing what God says in his word, and believing the truth of his word and the gospel, then that means that you are 
good soil. You see? And we're going to see it, and we're going to know it, and we're going to be able to recognize it. We're going to see it produced in your life, in your words, in your beliefs, in your teaching, in your living, in your lifestyle, and what you're affirming, and even what you're denying. We will see it in fruit 30-fold or 60-fold or 100-fold, you see? But if you have no fruit, which means no godly living or godly believing or godly talking, that means that you are not this good soil. Stop deceiving yourself. It's not doing you or anyone any good. If you are believing in worldly teaching that the world puts forward, it doesn't matter who you marry or who someone marries, you might think and say. It doesn't matter how you talk behind people's back, you might think and say. It doesn't matter what you look at, you might think, or what you say, or what you do. It just doesn't matter, really, in your heart of hearts. If that's you, then you're bad soil. With an unbelieving heart, be honest with where you're at. Stop. Stop pretending. But if you have a good heart, if you have a heart that is represented by this good soil, then just as real good soil, it will produce degrees of fruit or yield in your life. Now, Nathan clarified and shared with me that there are mitigating factors, of course, that farmers just cannot control. And it's not guaranteed to work out even if you have the perfect soil in a fallen world. Why? Because of pests or floods or drought or other unforeseen factors, hail, who, who knows? There's a lot of things that may go wrong, which, which kind of makes sense, right? Even if they're good to soil, other things could come and mess it all up. So it requires a lot of faith as a farmer, a lot of prayer, and a lot of trust in their God, as Nathan helpfully pointed out to me, and that really makes a lot of sense, especially now understanding a little bit more. But I want us to see here in closing, the, closing, the fact that if there is good soil and genuine Christian transformed heart, that there will produce, it will produce, not only a little yield, but an unbelievable yield will be harvested. As Craig Keener pointed out, in Palestine, the average yield during that time was about seven and a half to tenfold yield of grain. And here we see believers yielding 30 or 60 or 100 fold yield. That's a very productive soil, right? That's just to put it lightly. And though not all Christians will bear the same amount of fruit, we will produce much at various degrees. And let me just say this to the sensitive conscience who always thinks that you're not a believer and always doubting and always wondering and always hurting in that way. I understand that. I want to encourage you to listen to other people and have relationships with other people in the church so that they can tell you when you're doubting, you're like, I'm like the worst Christian ever. And then they tell you, actually, based on what I've observed, you're way better than me. Take it easy, you know. I'm seeing fruit in your life even though you don't see it. You did this and you did that and you did this. And praise God, the Lord's working in this way. He's working that way. And, you're like, and they're like, well, I've never really noticed that or thought. Because people can have hearts that don't see it. This is why the Christian community of the church is so important to actually encourage one another. So, hey, novel idea. Next time you see the grace of God in someone's life, why don't you soften your prideful heart and tell them how you see God working in their good soil heart, because you know that if it wasn't for the good soil, they'd never be doing that kind of thing. Encourage each other in that way. 
I'm so motivated by a passage like this. It helps me as a preacher and as a father and as a husband and as someone who lives in this community and a pastor of this church. I'm so motivated by this passage. Why? Because sometimes it could seem like the word isn't doing any work. It could be discouraging. Maybe you felt that too. Jesus and the apostles certainly felt that, right? It, they just don't seem to get it. I keep telling my kids, I keep sharing with my kids, and they just don't seem to get it. The connect is not there. I'm sharing with my unbelieving coworkers, and they're just not seeing it, or my spouse, and they're not seeing it, or my church, and they're not seeing it. Be encouraged. Jesus experienced the same things, and so did his disciples. There's something going on here. We must keep putting it out there, little by little, all over the place, spreading the seeds. I didn't have all the fancy equipment, the wonderful equipment to just do all this wonderful work like we see today in farming. Just putting it out there, little by little, all over the place. Just need to keep doing it. We don't know how our neighbor might be, receive the word later and maybe be transformed or how our kids might receive it and bear fruit later, or family members, or others in our community, or even here in this church. Farming takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. It's the same thing with spiritual gospel farming as well. Don't lose heart. Keep giving the word, spreading the seed, and having hope that God will do his work in hearts of genuine believers over time, or that he'll transform hearts that were once stony, hard, and choking out kind of soil to good soil, ready for the seed and the word of the gospel. God can do that. Don't lose heart. Keep on giving the word, dear Christian. Don't give up hope. Keep on hearing the word preached to you here at our church and reading it on your own and leaning in to it to actually receive it and continue to receive it and respond to it instead of rejecting it like the first three Soils, and let's pray to God as the only one who could transform hearts in this amazing way for anyone to receive the word in a saving way. Father, we cry out to you now for anyone here in this room or watching online who have stony, thorny, hard path hearts and who just even in the preaching of this word has already pushed it away, shoved it off, ignored it, made justifications and rationalizations about why these things aren't referring to them. I just pray that you would press on hearts like that the truths that only you can show. Hearts without your work are just blind. Hearts without your work are just deaf to these truths. They need you to explain it to them. They need you for understanding. Would you do a work to give understanding? Would you open eyes and hearts. Would you bring salvation today? We need you. We trust you. We love you. Oh, God, do a work, even right now, and even as we go from here. Do a work. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen.